K advisors want to build a scalable practice, but aren't always sure what to do next. Welcome to Outcomes, the podcast designed to help advisors think, make decisions, and cast a vision to create a business for the future. Here's your host, Ross Marino, financial planner, author, speaker, and CEO of Advisor2x. Welcome to Outcomes, the podcast. Today, I am joined by David Griffin, founder, Atlanta Retirement Partners, and a recent addition to One Digital. Hello, David. Good morning, Ross. Thanks for being on the podcast today. I was fortunate to get to know you and interview you a couple years ago for an article in 401k Specialist Mag. And what caught me was that you were actually doing virtual before virtual was cool. And I don't mean just Zoom with clients. So we're not going to talk about Zooming with clients. I've done enough podcasts on that. And well, frankly, I'm getting a little bored of that topic. I get it. We're doing it. We love it. But even before we kind of joined the Zoom revolution, you were already doing it and you built out a virtual team and you talked about some of the challenges and some of the benefits. So can you take us back a couple of years and where were you in your practice when you said, you know what, I've got to grow and I think I need to do something virtual? You know, it, it was something that uh, I really didn't think of myself as a technological pioneer. I think at the time I was just being cheap. When I went out on my own, <clears throat> I had a limited budget and I wanted to be able to provide the best resources possible for my client base as it continued to grow. And when I looked at hires, I thought, wow, I've got to compete with the different carriers out there that have you know, rich employee benefit programs, have bigger salaries. And, and my thought was, if I can provide some flexibility to employees and let them have a little bit of their life back, I think I might be able to build something there. And so I just started having conversations with some of my favorite people in the industry about what they would think about having the opportunity to work from home and be able to do the little things like get your kids off the bus after school, and it really resonated with people. Um, so I was able to, to find that I was able to hire um, at a slightly discounted rate if I was able to give people a little bit more flexibility in their schedule. And it really provided me tremendous benefit. You know, it's, uh, it, it's one thing to give people flexibility and have them um, be able to self-manage and, and put a lot of trust in them. Um, and I think it really helped build our culture there in the early years. So, you know, it worked for the first person and then I did it again and again and again. And I, I learned as, as our client base got bigger and my number of people got bigger, um, it created some challenges from a management standpoint, of course, but I, I never would, uh, would go back. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been great for me, great for the customers and great for, you know, most importantly for my employees. Some people say they work great remotely, and I just read a research report that said eight out of 10 women said they're more productive remotely um, It related to our industry. I'm not sure eight out of 10 women or men are actually more productive remotely. They may say that, but I don't know because I really don't know how to gauge that. You're at arm's length when you're working with a virtual team. So how do you know if they're really being productive or productive enough? You said trust, and there has to be a lot of trust that's inherent with that type of relationship. How do you navigate that? Well, that's, that really is the, the most fundamental challenge. You, you've got to have a personality type that I think is a self-starter type person, uh, a person that feels like you know, getting, getting the job done is more important than the hours logged. And, and that's really the, the critical piece because 
when, when you have tasks to do and you have you know work to be done on certain customers or projects that we're working on, I kind of have an idea of, of what the time spent on that should be. But if my teammates can find efficient ways to get the job done in four hours where I think it takes eight, they can go to the park. <laughs> you know, I'm totally, I'm totally fine. At the end of the day, I need my people to be accessible um, throughout the day. So, you know, as long as I can pick up the phone and call them at any time. And I, I always see the chatter going back and forth. Um, the email was going on, you know, with customers. So it's it, it's just it's one of those things that takes a little bit of time to get used to. Um, but once you're used to it, I think it works very well. I remember sitting with a team member a few years ago who was talking about being near capacity. And I'm not really the operations guy, so I'm not real connected to how long things take. And I just told this person that you have to understand from my perspective. I really have no idea how many steps this takes. I'm not the detail guy. I don't know how hard it is, how much mental capacity it takes, or how long it's going to take. And you have to be able to communicate that to me because you can't rely on me. It's just, it's a blind spot for me. But in your business, do you feel like you have a grasp of a lot of the different functions that are going on? Or is there some stuff where you really just have to trust that that person's getting it done in a reasonable amount of time? At the end of the day, it comes down to having trust that that person is going to you know, take care of the customer first, keep me informed of, of if things are, are dragging, if we're having service issues with a certain provider, if, you know, if something's hitting the wall. Um, but at the end of the day, there's times I'm surprised where somebody says, hey, this project is taking far longer than we anticipated, or you know, something could be a lot quicker than I anticipated. So it really is just kind of an ongoing learning process uh, you know, as we continue to grow and evolve. And as you know, we, we create efficiencies with the service deliverables that we've got, and we try to leverage technology as best we can. And you know, things that we used to spend a lot of time on, things like investment analysis, et cetera, you know, being able to outsource a lot of that is key as you continue to grow and you want to remain efficient and have a good margin uh, in the business that you're doing. You've had an experience recently with the wealth gap, and we've all been able to see that, I, I think, pretty close if you're in contact with different types of companies, because certain industries are doing extremely well, whereas other industries are practically shut down. And you had shared a story about what your brother had gone through and how it really brought home what the wealth gap is during this pandemic and how it's just expanding and how hard it can hit some people. Do you mind sharing some of that and what your insights are from it? No, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, it was funny yesterday, I, I met an old friend for a beer, and it was the same story. You know, he's a guy who runs an events business here in Atlanta, produces large scale concerts and festivals that all of us enjoy attending. And we were talking about shutting off American Express cards so he could get out of paying the annual fee. I mean, this is a person that was, you know, a high wealth person. Um, just a year ago, and all of a sudden, his world has stopped. And so, you know, the thing that, that I really noticed about what happened in, in March of last year is when the pandemic hit, there was an immediate impact on so many industries. And it was clear that there was going to be those of us that could adjust, work from home, work remotely, and use technology to continue, you know, our, our rhythm with clients. And then there were those whose jobs just stopped. And, you know, it, we, we, we became in America, there was two camps, the people that can work in this environment and the people that can't work in this environment. And that really um, moved to exacerbate the wealth gap in America today, because a lot of the, you know, the service jobs and a lot of the, uh, the gig economy workers, so to speak, 
um, or have been terribly impacted by the past year. So it, it's really been um, kind of interesting um, to observe. And, and it certainly, I think it's impacted most families. It certainly impacted mine. Uh, my brother is in the event space and, you know, right now he's not working. He's just waiting for the vaccine to slowly get, you know, get around America and for things to open up. And, you know, I think I read yesterday we're 70% open at this point, but we still got a little ways to go. Well, you just said you were a recent addition to the One Digital family. That's a big move. You've been in the business for quite a while. You have a successful practice. I know you didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I think I need to join One Digital. I'm sure there was a due diligence process. So I'd like you to take me back to before you started the due diligence process, you were obviously in some type of situation or in a season in your business where you started thinking there's some challenges here that maybe I need to look outside a little bit and consider partnering or getting together. What was your state of mind or what were you going through as you started that due diligence process? You, you know, Ross, it's it's been... Um, there's been a lot of change in, in the advisory world over the past two years. And, you know, I, I've been just paying attention to counterparts of mine in different cities and seeing the, the growth of some of these aggregators and, and what I perceive to be some of the benefits of that aggregation. And so I've kind of just taken a wait and see approach. And I've always had the thought, um, quite frankly, I don't, I'm not big enough to sell quite yet. You know, I think at some some point in my career that might be attractive to me, but you know, I'm 44 years old. The practice is thriving. We're growing, you know, 20% or better every year. You know, things are, things are good. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but I had, I had a conversation over lunch uh, a little bit more than a year ago with a friend of mine here in Atlanta that's in the employee benefits space. And he asked me as a favor to him, he said, Hey, would you, would you have lunch with the CEO of One Digital if I set it up? And I said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll have lunch with the CEO of any organization of that size. <laughs> Learn something from the, you know, they're successful for a reason. And so, I, you know, I started kind of at the top. And after I had lunch with Adam Bruckman, who's the CEO of One Digital, we, we had a very good report right out of the gate. And I, I thought, you know, there's going to be something that comes from that meeting. I'm not sure when um, or what, but something's going to come from that meeting. And then, boom, COVID hit. M&A activity stopped, everything, you know, changed for all of us. And, and I, it kind of went to the back of my mind. Um, and then after a couple months, you know, the conversation started again. And I had the, the, the thought to myself, I said, if I'm really going to consider, you know, a move like this, I need to start doing due diligence, not only on one digital, but on, on other opportunities that I might have in the marketplace. So when I started talking to my peers and my friends in the industry, Immediately, you know, pe- there was much, many more parties that were interested in Atlanta Retirement Partners. So then it became a, a, a real process, a real project, because I was talking to four different um, potential suitors, different culture, different style, different approach, different financial package, you know, et cetera. So it became kind of my, my part-time job navigating and evaluating the different um, aggregators in the marketplace. And at the end of the day, I ended up coming back to the very first one I talked to, which was One Digital, and there was a, a few reasons for that. Um, but the key part to me in considering the sale of, a, of an independent practice to some something larger is, you know, what are the long-term opportunities um, for me, for my employees, for my customer base? And and I've I've felt very confident that, 
that I was going to have wonderful access to distribution, meaning more opportunities, the opportunity to serve a lot more customers here in the Atlanta marketplace through partnering with One Digital. Um, I felt there was a great opportunity for my people to have some equity, to have some skin in the game with, with their new employer. And I thought there was a tremendous upside opportunity for me in trading my equity of Atlanta Retirement Partners for equity in One Digital, which is a company that's growing quickly and nationally, and their footprint is getting bigger and bigger. And I thought, you know, I think this could be the best of both worlds. They're going to allow me to keep my team intact, to keep doing what I've always done, but to have a whole lot more referral sources that I can work with than I work with right now. So after I made the decision, I was very comfortable with the decision. Um, subsequently, now that we're getting going with our new organization, you know, there are more opportunities now already for me than there were previously. So I've already seen the, you know, the, the fruits to grow from the decision and, um, and we're excited about it. excited about 2021 and years to come. So it's neat to hear that your decision tree was really about future growth because you're you're younger, you got plenty of years, you're not just looking to ring the register on your practice, but you were thinking, how does one plus one equal three or more? And how can I continue to grow this practice? And everybody wins that way. How about some advice to other advisors out there who might be in the same position you were in? Maybe they're in their 40s, their practice is moving, it's growing. No way they're going to sell the practice and ring the register right now. They're not at that point, but they know they need to partner up. What would you tell them? You know, to me, it came down to a couple parts. And culture is very important to me. You know, I like the culture that we have at Atlanta Retirement Partners. I like the, the way that we are perceived in the marketplace. And I like how our group of employees or teammates have, have worked together. And, and culture is a hard thing to put your finger on. It's organic. And I would be very mindful if you're considering joining a larger organization of what the culture is like. You know, I would talk to other producers that have gone through the process um, in different cities and just have them tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, all of these transitions take some, there's some pain involved. You know, we had to change our RIA, change broker dealer, repaper clients. We're going through that right now. That is a process and it takes some time. But the way I looked at it was, this is a small period of time to go through this transition and communicate to clients versus the tremendous upside we might have on the other side of this. And so the culture and then the opportunity for distribution really was the two things that were most important for me. Because like you said, Ross, I wasn't looking to monetize my practice and retire. You know, I'm looking at what's the best growth model for me over the next three, five, 10 years. And distribution here in Atlanta just made all the sense in the world that one digital has 160 people in the employee benefit space here in Atlanta and no people doing retirement. So I thought, you know, I already know some of these people. They've got a great reputation. They do great work for clients. Some of my clients are already one digital clients on the benefit side. So I thought the cross sell opportunities here are going to be very significant. And I think the, 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 the challenge that I'm going to have moving forward is growth pains. It's going to be staffing properly, um, being able to provide the exact same level of service that we provide our existing clients as we onboard two or three X more cases a year than we're used to. So, you know, those are challenges that I look forward to. Um, and, and at the end of the day, being able to serve more customers is what I'm passionate about. And I think this is going to give us the best opportunity to do just that. Going through a big transition like that is a exciting for an entrepreneur or an advisor because they just see the growth, they see the opportunity. But when you're working with team members, 
whenever there's a change like that, the typical principle of change management is you have to address what does this mean to me? That's the first thing the team members are going to think about. For you, you may know these people, you know Vince, you know One Digital, you may know a lot of people in the organization. Maybe your team members don't know as many, so they probably didn't see it the same way you did. How did you help them through that? And did you have a formal process for change management with them? It's a great question. And you know, one of the really interesting pieces of this process right now for me is I now have an office in the One Digital office here in Atlanta where I'm interacting already with people that are benefits producers and in management, et cetera, at One Digital. All of my, my team is all still remote. So they've had almost no interaction personally with a whole lot of the people that I'm interacting with every day. So it, 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 is, it is very much a very different situation for me than it is for my, for my team right now. And my team, you know, people, people are resistant to change. And I'm very proud of my team that they've really embraced this change. They see the opportunity. And of the people they've met so far, they said, hey, hey there's some great, great um, folks that work here. And I said, exactly. This is critically important to me. But, you know, the, the negative impact on my people right now is we just create a whole lot of work. You know, repapering 130 customers and communicating all this and switching systems, you know, switching RIAs and broker dealers and firms at the same time is a lot. And so it's put some extra work on everyone's plate. And I, I'm certainly aware of that. So I'm trying to, uh, to make sure that everything is divided up evenly, keep everybody positive, keep everybody moving forward. We're, we're almost through this transition process and then it'll be uh, kind of off to the races. So I didn't have a formal process to answer your question. Um, I've just kind of been taking this uh, one day at a time. Um, but, you know, I, I think my people have responded very well and, and uh, we're, we're con- continuing to have a good time while we do this. Yeah, the switch is pretty intense, especially for people on the operations side. We just made a move to fee-only and opened up our own RIA January 1st. And our COO, Liz, said it's like whack-a-mole where you just something pops up and you hit it and you take care of it and then something else pops up. And then sometimes that same mole pops up again. You thought you were done with whatever that process was. And it's just an amazing amount of work. So a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on the people having to do that transition. And although the world won't stop spinning tomorrow, if you don't get all that paperwork in, you know, if you don't get it in by tomorrow, it's going to be backed up by next week. So really a tough situation for the people on the operation side. How about a shout out to someone who helped you through the process of making a decision who to join? Because I know you mentioned speaking with someone named Greg, who really helped you think through how you approach joining a partner. Well, you know, Ross, I've had lots of conversations with lots of people and the folks that are in similar shoes as me, um, independent practice owners that have been in this business 15, 20 years, you know, I always led my ear. And and Greg Fiore is a, a guy here in Atlanta who's built a great firm uh, called Clearview. Um, we've got staff members that are friends. We've known each other a long time. We've worked for the same organizations in the past. And Greg is a very cerebral guy. He's always been a thinker in my mind, um, but he's always been a great competitor and I've always respected his opinion. And, you know, he and I had a chance to have a couple conversations uh, through this process. And, you know, he said, at the end of the day, we both are going to be faced with many options as we consider an aggregator. And he said, but it's, it's all about distribution. How can we put ourselves in a position where we have more opportunity 
um, more more swings, you know, more more at bats. That's that's the key, the biggest part of considering um, an aggregator. So I, I think Greg and I have a very different style, um, but I think he and I see the business very similarly in a lot of ways, and and he certainly made my decision. He reinforced it very, very easily for me in just one quick conversation. So shout out to Greg Fiore. Whenever we're making decisions, there's always going to be so many factors in our heads swirling around. And the older we are, the more we actually consider. I was listening to a book this morning that was talking about how the older we get with our brain, we actually get such a broader perspective on what we see and what we think it makes it even harder sometimes to make decisions because we're not as laser focused. And when you're really making big decisions, that's one of the challenges is what are the one or two factors that I really need to zero in on to say, this is what's most important. And it's cool that you had somebody who's in the business, who's successful that you know, and you respect who could just lay it out and just made sense to you. And you knew that's exactly what you had to do. So yeah, that's certainly wonderful. So speaking of wonderful things, let's finish with the final question that everybody gets. If I gave you the magic wand, this is the magic wand question. It has wonderful powers, according to my daughters. And if I gave it to you, you could change anything you want in the world. Can't be related to COVID though. So what would you change? I would probably change the awards that are available for uh, litigation against plan sponsors and qualified plans. <laughs> you know, we, We've seen this proliferation of the number of law firms that are getting into the Let's sue plan sponsor business, you know, over a share class of funds. And, you know, you look at some of these court cases that come out and, you know, there's, they're frivolous. And at the end of the day, the plan participants get little to no benefit of participating in a class action lawsuit, but the attorneys make a whole lot of money litigating it. And there just needs to be some, some reform there because Plan sponsors, if they get to the point of, wow, there's just too much liability for me to even offer an employee benefit because I've, I've got so much legal exposure, you know, people aren't going to sponsor plans. So I would really love to see um, attorneys focus on uh, other areas than, than the frivolous lawsuits that happen on a lot of these class actions. And not to say some of them aren't without merit. There are some, but you look at the cases and you look at what the attorneys get paid versus what the the plan participants get at the end of the day, and it uh, it doesn't make much sense. David Griffin, Atlanta Retirement Partners, thanks so much for being on the show today. My pleasure, Ross. Have a great weekend. It's always great to catch up. Thank you for listening to Outcomes. Subscribe now to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Advisor 2X. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.